chapter 2, verse 14, will be our primary text of examination for this morning during this time. If I had to place a title on this sermon, it would, would be something to the effect of the peace of Christ among the favored. Peace of Christ among the favored. Now, what a reminder that that was of Silent Night and... You know, I'm not so convinced that it was a silent night. I'm not convinced that it was that quiet in that stable in Bethlehem. But it is a reminder on that solemn night some 2,000 years ago when God himself stepped into history as God-man. And what hope humanity had placed in God to intervene that they longed for God to intervene on their behalf, whether it is by sending a warrior Messiah to somehow conquer the government or to somehow conquer their their sinfulness in some regard. There was a hope that humanity placed in God to answer and to intervene. There was a love that God answered as giving the remedy to that fall and to that sin because because of Christ. God answered and then there was joy that come now because we have Jesus who has come and, and who is, I will remind you, who is coming again. So there was a, a joy in not only the first coming of our Lord, but then to know that there is a second coming. There's a joy to know that we have Christ and Christ has come and there is a second coming on the horizon. Our Lord is yet to return. And then there is peace we celebrate today. A peace that we can and the peace that we do foster because of the totality of the work of of Christ. And and, and to think about Christmas, I hope that we have in your your family, in your time of of reflection on on Christmas, I hope that you have begun to reflect, or maybe you have a history of doing so, of reflecting on the manger to the resurrection. On the manger to the resurrection. The manger to the cross to to the resurrection. Because in that, our Lord indeed has come and has granted hope and love and joy and peace. It is often said, as I have reiterated plenty of times, and you've heard it not only just from me, but from others, I assume. And I can reiterate this point, that true peace only comes through and by the Prince of Peace. Only peace comes through the Prince of Peace. Well, it was the Prince of Preachers, Charles H. Spurgeon, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, once said of the peace of the Messiah, Jesus, Spurgeon said, A sense of peace and perfect peace with God is the grandest thing in all of the world with which to travel through life. And the peace within the soul, it is not derived from the contemplation of our own faith. No, that is not peace. But peace comes to us from Him who is our peace. He is our peace. He is who brings us peace. Not the sheer fact that we are some superior faithful person that in and of ourselves say, I have a lot of faith. My faith is strong. No, our peace comes from Him. He is our peace. Listen, friends, whatever you're going through this morning, whatever you're going through, let me say this in 
And the easiest way that I can say it, and, and really this is not a cliched saying, this is not some Christian language that I'm using here this morning. I'm not oversimplifying things by saying this. It is truth. It is absolutely true. It is with 100% certainty that I say whatever you're going through in life, whatever you're working through, Christ Jesus is our peace. He is our peace. And you may be wrestling with an episode of what people call the dark night of the soul. When you might be tossing and turning through the hours of the night, you might be at a crisis of faith and you might be asking, why God, why is this happening to me? And you might be going through that episode of what they call the dark night of the soul. Like, may I say to you again, in not in oversimplistic terms, that Christ is your peace. You might be here this morning and you might be burdened and you might be depressed. You might have nowhere to turn, turn to again, the Prince of Peace, who promised in his word, may I remind you in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23, that he is the Emmanuel, that he would never leave you and he would never forsake you. And best of all, he has given a way to where we can have peace with a righteous and holy Father. He has a way where we can have peace amongst God and in the eyes of the Lord, we can be counted righteous. Here's a holy father in all of his righteousness who once saw our sin-stained soul, but now sees the righteousness of Jesus if you're in Christ. Some scholars call this the great exchange. Some people call it double imputation. Now, what does that mean? What is this great exchange? It is that my filthy rags of sin and unrighteousness and dirtiness has been exchanged for the righteousness of Christ. This is this great exchange that somehow this enigma, this puzzle that I can't explain, that God has taken my filthy rags of sin and unrighteousness and the righteousness of Christ has been given to me, credited to me. One of the most eloquent and most beautiful verses, I believe, in all of Scripture is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. This, my friend, is the great exchange. And for our sake He made Him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. This is the great exchange. And in fact, I believe that this, as we have called this, the great exchange is double imputation. I believe, I believe it ought to be retitled. I believe it ought to be retitled to the great unfathomable exchange. The great unfathomable exchange. Because I can't fully and exhaustively explain why... Jesus would take my filth upon himself and impute or credit his righteousness to me other than God's great love. In John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. I can't explain that, can you? I can't explain it. But I'm grateful for the great exchange. I want you to take a moment and let that sink in. That God took your filthy rags of sin and imputed or given to you the righteousness of Christ? Or has He? Or has He for you?
Now, with many of us here this morning, there's a long and running tradition in the home of folks here. There's a long running tradition. You wake up on Christmas morning and you read the birth narrative from the Gospel of Luke. Is there any families who do that? You read the birth narrative from, from Luke. Luke chapter 2, the evangelist Luke writes this first-hand account. This is what people saw. And Luke went door to door investigating and getting all the information he can and he wrote it down. And this is what he found in Luke, in Luke chapter 2. But I want to dip a little bit into that tradition this morning by reading the narrative penned by Luke. So I asked you at the beginning of our time together to open up your word to Luke chapter 2. And I'll ask you if you'll stand with me as we read that word together. Now I'm going to be reading from verses 1 all the way down through this birth narrative to where uh, we get a break into the text, which is chapter, chapter 2, verse 21. And so I do understand if, if you... Um, want to sit through some of this, but I'll ask you if we all initially, if you'll stand and we'll read this together. Again, I'm going to dip into this tradition of some folks in some homes. I want to dip into this tradition by reading this narrative beginning at chapter 2, verse 1. Let's read the word of the Lord together. If you don't have a Bible, the words will be on the screen for you to follow along as well. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augusta that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration by Quinarius, who was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of, and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time had come for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. But in the same region there was shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were fear filled with great fear. But then the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace amongst those with whom He is pleased. When the angels went away from heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Well, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherd returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen that had been told to them. And the eighth day, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, and the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Father, I pray as we look at this text this morning, as we zero in, God, as we magnify this text before us, and as we magnify God, let us keep in mind the peace that only you can bring. And I pray for one here who might be struggling, God, who might be working, might be wrestling through something. 
depression, hardship, whatever it might be, God, I pray that they will cling to you as you desire to cling to them closely. Father, if there's one here who doesn't know you today, a Savior, I pray today would be the day when they would confess and repent of their sins and cling to Christ Jesus. In his name I pray it. Amen. You may be seated. Now, out of that narrative, we have a beautiful interaction on behalf of our Lord through the angelic host giving divine revelation to shepherds on this, on this field. Divine revelation has been given to Mary. We looked at this last week. But I want to focus in on one verse before us today, one particular verse, and that is verse 14. I want to do a semi-deep dive into verse 14 this morning to bring out a few things that we can cling a hold to as we look at this message given to these shepherds by the angelic hosts navigating them to the birth of our Lord. I will submit to you this morning that the message can be quite clear as we glorify God that even in the toughest times, in the most uncertain times, in the grimmest of times, in the hardest of times, give glory to God. Paul would often call this, if you were to have uh, a letter of Paul before you, he would say that this is a sacrifice of praise and worship to God Almighty. In the toughest of times when the world is unraveling around us to give glory to God, Anyway, now most of us gathered here this morning would probably say that I have had a blessed life. I have been blessed. God has supplied my needs. God has supplied family and church family. I have had a blessed life. We have issues and baggage that we all carry around. Everyone in here has gone through some illness, some adversity, some hardship, some familial uh, disassimilation, if you will, some issues. But for the most part, we are blessed people. I don't know anyone here this morning who has ever had to sleep on a dirt floor in a manure-constructed hut or who has had a gun pressed into their face demanding their possessions or for them to renounce their faith in Christ. Anyone? For the most part, we are a blessed people, and at the same time, we are a spoiled lot of people as well. Now, for the time in which the people live during this narrative as to which I read, when the Lord Jesus was born, uh, there was a lot of political and social unrest, some uncertainty amongst the day. And we can certainly relate to that because there are, there are uh, on the political horizon, there is unrest, there's social unrest, there's uh, uncertainty. Sometimes it seems as if the fabric of society in many times comes unraveling around us. And yes, we can relate to the shepherds in the field. We can relate to the denizens in Rome. We can relate to that, certainly. For what we gather from the evangelist Luke, there was a great push by Rome to catalog and tax the population. Everyone should be accounted for 
and everyone should do their due diligence, whether you're a Roman citizen or a denizen in, in, under their care, everyone is to do their due diligence and to ensure Rome called the Pax Romana, that is, the peace of Rome. Now, this was a 200-year stretch of perceived peace that started with Augustus Caesar and ended with Marcus Aurelius. And it may have been a time of perceived peace for the Roman citizens, but not everyone agreed with the political and the religious dynamic of the Roman Empire, certainly and especially occupied Jerusalem, who looked and longed for a warrior Messiah to come and to alleviate them from under the Roman government. But I want you to try to keep in mind Keep in mind of the context in which they lived. And then, trying to keep peace and being a good denizen under Roman Empire, we find Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph, they travel to pay their taxes, to be a good citizen, and to pay their respect to those and to authority, even though they didn't agree with the political horizon, I'm sure, as people in Jerusalem under Roman government. They traveled to pay their taxes and to register. And for the Jewish community, this oppression might have well have been Egyptian for all of their concern because it gave hints and reflection of Egyptian bondage, although they were not building pyramids in the desert. They were building in some way a republic under the Roman government. Luke records this time and culture that they lived in to give the reader and worshiper some insights of the difficulties that his people were enduring, and Luke was enduring them as well. These were people looking for hope and love and joy and peace, and God is about to answer in the most profound way. In fact, Mary will give birth to Christ that was announced to her by the angel Gabriel, just as he was revealed to her and she will call his name Jesus, Yeshua, God who saves his people from their sins. Then Luke gives us a cut scene. He gives us a cut scene to the shepherds in the field, keeping their flocks by night. Now just a side note, shepherds were not always the best in society, meaning they did not always have the most noteworthy reputation in society. Sometimes they had a bad reputation. This is why Jesus, in Luke chapter, I mean John chapter 10, he is called what? The good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He is the shepherd of our salvation. And yet, this is who the angels appear to, to make this grand announcement that the Messiah has been born. Unlike Gabriel appearing to Mary, the glory of the Lord shone around this batch of angels as mentions in verse 10. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. And you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the hosts of heaven praising God and saying, this is what they said, glory to God in the highest. I want you to look at verse 14 a little more closely. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, peace. 
all of a sudden this multitude of hev this heavenly army of angels showed up to give praise to God. The proclamation that we find in chapter 2 verse 14, this glory to God, I believe is very reminiscent of what is offered in a model prayer by our Lord Jesus. He teaches His disciples in the Sermon on the Mount of how to pray and how to offer up humble adoration to God Almighty. If you recall on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said that when you pray, you pray this way. How do we pray? We pray this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, finish it. Hallowed be thy name. In other words, glory to God in the highest. Reaffirmation that God is glorious and that God is worthy of all worship. He is worthy of all our worship, past, present, and future, and into all eternity. Another place that we find such an affirmation of the glory of God is in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6 it is a reaffir uh, reaffirming of the holiness of God as if God needs our affirmation. He is holy even if we don't proclaim His holiness. In Isaiah 6, the angels exclaim in adoration. They say, holy, holier, holiest. And the crescendo of praises bring Isaiah to stand up straight with chest bowed out. No. They bring Isaiah to a place of worship where if I was to see a picture of Isaiah, I would imagine that he would be on his knees before the very presence of God Almighty saying that I am undone. In verse 5 he says, Woe is me! I am lost! I am undone! For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. See, the closer we get to the holiness of God and understanding the holiness of God, the more humble we appear before Him. The closer we get to the holiness of God, the, dirtiness, the dirtiest we find ourselves. We find our imperfections. And I believe we identify here with Isaiah. I am lost, I am undone, I am a man of unclean lips. See, the design of God in the incarnation that God put on flesh was to manifest the glory, His glory, and His nature, and then to reconcile humankind to Himself. The babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, is a very expression of God, is very God Himself, the very message of God in flesh, the impression of God, the logos of God Himself in this hewn out water trough. And the angels therefore declare that this incarnation shall manifest and then will promote the glory of God and the message and the very expression of God in flesh. Through the babe wrapped in ragged swaddling clothes, laying in a hewn out feeding or watering trough lying in a manger was a picture of humility that God came as a servant. Now in this moment the angels are not, they're not only giving special revelation as they, they are from God, they're given revelation from God, but then they are also given a lesson on worship. 
in proclaiming the glory of God. They're not only giving a proclamation, they're giving a worship lesson of sorts. Glory to God. Hallowed be thy name. We affirm the holiness of God before we ever announce our petitions before God. You are holy, God. You have blessed us. And yes, you have blessed us, but even before that, you are holy. And you are worthy of all of our praise and adoration. Charles Wesley, who wrote about 7,000 different songs. Charles Wesley wrote the famous uh, Christmas hymn by the name of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. He had a brother by the name of John Wesley. You may have heard of John Wesley. If you have heard of the Methodist Church, uh, the Methodist Movement, the Nazarene Church, and all the offshoots from the Methodist Church, and you have heard of Charles and John Wesley. John Wesley wrote of the glory of God in the highest. He said, the shouts of the multitudes are generally broken into short sentences, such as glory to God in the highest, peace on earth to men. And this rejoicing and this acclamation strongly represents the piety and the benevolence or the goodness of these heavenly spirits, as if they have said, Glory be to God in the highest heavens. Let all the angelic legions resound His praises. Why? For the Redeemer's birth, peace, and all kinds of happiness and joy have come down to dwell on earth. Yea, the overflowings of divine good will find favor and are exercised towards, towards men. So these people lived in an era of history marred by social and civil unrest. Can we relate? Certainly. And yet there is a glimmer of hope that comes through lifting a voice to the God of creation. And maybe the reason humanity's trajectory looks so grim in, on occasion is because followers of Christ are not giving glory to God in frequent adoration. When was the last time that you thanked the Lord God for something in your life in front of your believing friends? Last time you gave glory to God in the presence of unbelievers, giving Him glory and praise for all the good blessings of life. And I must admit to you that it is not as frequent in my own life as I would like to admit. I submit to you that one of the best witnesses that you can ever give to the authenticity of the gospel is to, number one, preach the goodness of the gospel itself, but then to proclaim Christ is good even when everything in your life doesn't look so promising. When there is doubts in life, when there's questions in life, when you're going through tough times, when you're going through adversity, when you're going through sickness, and yet you can praise God, you can give Christ the praise for being good and for saving you, that is a message the world needs to see because in that message there is, there is hope, there is love, there is peace, there is joy. And I would say that most of us in this sanctuary today can truly and truthfully say that I am blessed beyond measure. Can you say that? I'm blessed beyond measure. We have a loving family. We have a loving church family. I'm grateful for this church, this loving church who loves Christ and loves one another. We have resources to, to administer to those who are in need. To make it through life, we have resources to share, share the gospel. 
We have the support of those who love us. It's easy for us to say, trust in God, have peace in God. It's easy. It's easy for us to do that. We have love and family. But how about the one who lost their mother or their relative in a, in a, in a, in a car accident just before Christmas? How about that family? How about the, the foster child who had to be placed in a home due to some uh, abuse, abuse in the home? How about that family who's been displaced? And on their Christmas list, at the top of that list, says all I want for Christmas is a family. Is God still in control? Absolutely. It is time for the church to stop giving lip service to God and saying, yes, glory to God in the highest and then live out as if we believe it. You know, in those incidents that I, that I mentioned, that I just mentioned, it was refreshing to see this church body come around these families. True cases. Not to boast, but it was refreshing to see the body of Christ rally around these families and love on them. In the most grimmest of times, give God the glory if nothing more than to give him worship for saving your wretched soul to himself. And then we find peace to the favored, that God gives peace to the favored. The last time we spoke about being favored last week, Mary was favored by God, not because she was holy. Mary was, Mary was a, a, an ordinary woman that God favored and used she wasn't holy. She wasn't righteous. We see in the gospel account that Mary herself goes and offers sacrifice in the temple for her sins. She is not favored because she was holy or righteous, but because God chose her to carry his son. That's why she was favored. She had to have some special quality. She came through the lineage of, of David and, God, and, and the Lord had, had molded history and time itself and being favored in, in this sense to these shepherds. If you look at this text, it says, Glory to God and to those and peace amongst those on earth of whom He is pleased. And the wording there is, For that, those who are favored. For those who are favored. So imagine these shepherds out on the field, the people in Jerusalem, the people in Galilee, and all the places that Jesus walked. Here's what it, here's what it entails to be favored. Being favored in this sense, that you will be living in a time when God Himself will robe Himself in flesh. You will be living in a time when the Son of God will walk the face of the earth in preparation for His death. We'll live a totally sin free life. We'll have no sin or deceit. He will live a perfect life. He will go through Galilee and Jerusalem. He will, heal the, he will heal the sick. He will open blinded eyes. He will heal deaf ears. He will walk on water. He will feed the multitude. You will live in a time where you will be able to witness all these things in preparation for His death. And then some of you might even witness the risen Lord. You might even feel the scars in His hand and in His side. You are favored in this regard that you will see Christ born. And some of you might even see and carry through His Resurrection. Imagine witnessing such events. 
Again, the verse reads, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace amongst those whom He is pleased or favored. Everyone who has ever been born was not born into peace with God. You are not born into peace. Nobody was born regenerated. Nobody was born a Christian. You are not born a Christ follower when you were born. And so we must be born again. This means if we are not born in favor with God, that means that humankind is in a state of perpetual hostility with God and with each other. Do we need peace? Yes. We are born at a perpetual state of hostility with God and because we are at hostility with God or an enemy of of God, we are an enemy one with another. He who sins wars against his maker. Do you believe that we are in a state of perpetual hostility in this world today? Not only individually, but as a world we live in. Do you believe that we long for peace? There are 195 countries in this world. And out of those 195 countries, there are 35 of them right now who are in some sort of war or conflict amongst themselves. But there are 100% of them who have 100 of their citizens who were born as enemies of God and who are born sinful, every one of us. Now for the individual, you will wrestle your whole life with having peace. You will wrestle with that your whole life. You will wrestle with inner peace your whole life. I know because I turned 49 in May and I know that most of my life there has been a wrestling of of peacefulness. Where do you think we find our peace? In Christ. So you will wrestle your whole life with your entire life in some episodes, some longer than others, with with finding this eternal peace. And Christ is the remedy for the wrestled soul. It is when we become reconciled to God through the death of His Son that we truly love and are at peace with God and peace with one another. So they have peace with God. They have peace in their own conscience. Peace with their neighbors. We have peace with our friends. And goodwill is noted of them. Humankind has longed to have peace, not only in the world, but personally. I wonder how many uh, beauty pageant contestants said that they want to see world peace. I wonder how many. There is a longing in humanity to see peace. Not only in the world, but personally. We would say something like this, that we long for peace on an existential level or individually. We long for peace individually, and yet we long for peaceful environments. We long for peaceful environments. We hate turmoil and conflict, unless you're some type of psychopath who just don't really care either way. We long for our environments to be peaceful. When peace and goodwill are worldwide and when they are widespread, human society will then be, as it is designed, a heaven on earth. In the words of Abraham Lincoln, with malice towards none, with charity towards all, or love towards all. I began this sermon with a quote from Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers. I'll end with another quote from, from Spurgeon. Spurgeon said, Happy the when every war horse shall be hewed 
that is, where their hamstrings will be cut. When every spear shall become a pruning hook, and every sword shall be made to till the soil, which once stained with blood, this will be the last triumph of Christ. Before death itself shall be dead, death, death's great jackal, war, must die also. And then there shall be peace on earth. And the angel shall say, I have gone up and down through the earth, and the earth setteth still and is at rest. I hear of no tumult or war or noise of battle. Friends, we long for that day when the Prince of Peace will bring true and lasting peace, not only for you as the individual whose sins have been forgiven as you have repented of them to Him, but to see this world as we know it under subjection to the rod and rule of Christ who is the Prince of Peace. Now maybe you feel as if you are at war within yourself and you can't find true peace and rest. Maybe, maybe you sense that your greatest need has not yet been met because your greatest need is not material things, it's not the things of the world, it's, hey, it isn't even your family, although those things are important, but that your greatest need to meet that inner turmoil, that war within, that struggle within, is Christ. You have yet to submit to Him as Lord and Savior and the Prince of Peace. Maybe this time of year is harsh on you, because you have lost a loved one and it's this time of year where the floods of memories come in like a stream. And might I encourage you to cling to Jesus, cling to Christ, the Prince of Peace, our Emmanuel. And then, as the angels proclaimed in verse 14, glory to God in the highest. Let's pray together.